Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Rule the World, the ultimate power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life, to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Well, hello and welcome to Rule the World, the Art and Power of Storytelling. I'm Paul Furlong, Creative Director of Opus Media, and today's guest is Jack Lynch, the preeminent Scaly or Irish storyteller. Jack is the Chair of Storytellers of Ireland and a founder member of the Dublin Yarn Spinners. He spends his time telling stories at festivals around the world and is an expert in folk tales, myths, legends and tall tales. So hi Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks, good to be here. So uh, let's start, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you spend your time. Well, uh, basically I'm a full-time storyteller. I came, uh, I was originally an actor, I still am an actor, but haven't been working that often as an actor, you know, Um, but uh, I still do, you know, like radio plays and odd bits, television, film and all that. It's a while since I toured with the company, so I miss that camaraderie. But the thing about being a storyteller is that, you know, I'm my own boss, you know, I I deal with my own material. Storytelling and acting, they're quite different in some very specific ways. Um, For example, um, here's a, here's a, a definition, a friend of mine, a Danish woman, put it like this. She said, the actor gets the story from the text of the play script and that. So the actor gets the story from the words. The storyteller gets the words from the story. So to explain that, you know, I none of the stories I tell are written down. Uh, sometimes I'll source them from written collections and that. But um, I, when I'm telling stories, I'm not reading from a script in my mind, you know. I know what happens in the story. 
I know that up ahead we're coming to a bridge and they're going, then we're going to turn into the woods on the left. So each time I tell the story, uh, it, it's coming out differently, you know. Um, some stories I've been telling for a long time, <clears throat> the phraseology might be similar in that. But, for example, if I'm telling in Germany, say, or in the Middle East, you know, to people who don't have English as a first language, I'm judging how much they're understanding me. So I'm editing in my mind or I'm rephrasing things in my mind without breaking the flow of the story. Because basically storytelling, um, in my case, as a traditional or professional storyteller, it's a conversation. It's very interactive, you know. So another difference in theatre is that, you know, if I am telling stories, say, in the break of a music concert, whether it's traditional music or jazz or whatever, I sometimes forget to tell the lighting person that when I come on, I need the house lights up a fair bit because I need to see faces, I need to see eyes, I need to see reactions. I'm sort of listening uh, to people's eyes in a way and, and that is affecting how I tell uh, the way I phrase what I'm saying and that you know that they're getting the story so yeah I have been storytelling I suppose for the last uh, oh you know um, I don't know it probably 18 or 19 years uh, I came to it through acting a lot of people come from other sources librarians you know teachers and that come into storytelling so uh, I suppose storytelling in relation to the theatre world, it's closer to Shakespeare or Brecht, you know what I mean? Where the actors had direct contact with the audience in the theatre and it was conversational to a degree, do you know what I mean? It was direct address, let's put yeah. it like that. Rather than kind of the Stanislavski school of thought where you... Be, yeah. Certainly rather than that. I mean, I did at one stage have a job of writing the scripts for a ghost bus tour of Dublin. It's still on the go, I'm sure it's quite changed, but um, so there was, there were two actors who were going to take on the job. Um, one would do it for several nights of the week on a bus moving around Dublin. The stories were very site specific. Uh, but then the bus drivers, the, these would have been tour guides who are natural storytellers. They got interested as well. Now, it turned out the two actors were from the, the, the local Stanislavski studio and they found it very hard without having the fourth wall they found it hard to directly address the people on the bus you know on the other hand some of the scripts I, I, I wrote very precisely you know they were based on uh, like say stories by Sheridan Le Fanu one of the many Dublin Gothic writers Bram Stoker and you know Yates Wilde and the rest of it but to tell a good sto ghost story, it's a very difficult thing. So in relation to some places where the bus would stop, um, they they needed to be sort of told verbatim, the way they were written, because, you know, for example, in Le Fanu, the, the tone is, now I'm a scientific man and maybe you're a rational person too, but and I'm going to explain the, a series of occurrences you may find it believable or not. And then he talking in that term, and then by the end of the story, you're quaking in your boots, you know. But the bus drivers, they couldn't learn a script, you know. So that was the problem. Now, the actors got around their Stano problem by creating big Dickensian characters, and then they had that mask. They could talk 
directly to the people with, you know. Very good. So, um, in the introduction, I introduced you as a, a scaly rather than a shanaki. Um, can, you, can you give us the, the definitions of scaly and shanaki, please? Sure. Well, um, shanaki is probably the best uh, a word that suggests the traditional storyteller. And shanaki mean, it means a, a, a tradition bearer. Shankas means ancient wisdom and it's, it's oral wisdom. Now, the, the position of the Shanaki was a traditional one in entertainment in Ireland where people would gather together in, in neighbours' houses, in a neighbour's house by the fire. The Shanaki would be there and he, the Lord that he had wasn't just stories, you know, ancient or more recent folklore folk tales. Uh, he, he, would, he would know about folklore. He would know about, um, you know, the genealogy of the people in the area. He'd know about the, the, the meaning of the place name, which would be very important. Place names, of course, were anglicised from the 1820s on by the British Army engineers who were making the first full map of Ireland. So while each turn of the road and each corner of a field and each bridge over a river had an Irish name and there was a story behind that name. Once the names became anglicised, the story fades further back into the past. But um, I suppose, uh, I, I do think the Shanachie and that tradition of storytelling is very much related to place. I, I'm, I'm very aware of that. It's related to community. But this storytelling tradition uh, in, in the local houses, they were called uh, Cayley houses in the north and in Scotland, um, gambling houses or story houses, and they're still on the go. There's been a revival around Ireland. You know, television, you know, well, what's the Bruce Springsteen like? 60 channels and nothing to watch, you know. So, um, yeah, related to, to community in, in that way. Of course, when you're telling stories to any audience, you're, you're making a community of them, you know. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Scaly uh, means storyteller, and that was one of the things that, one of the talents of the Shanachie. But I am aware that the Shanachie is a much, it's an older um, form of, of local lore and received tradition that in the 20th century has sort of dwindled because while there was the storyteller by the fire, that, that man was replaced by the radio set. And then by the television set, and then by social media. You know, there are people around Ireland that I would classify as as, as champions, but they they wouldn't be telling their stories in the way I do. So, um, obviously, um, talking through Scaly Shanachie, there's there's a huge storytelling tradition in Ireland, and the Irish are known the world over for being wonderful storytellers. Why do you think this is? Um. Well, there's a. $64 question. Um, I think Ireland is, is uh, ha, ha, I don't know, there, there is scientific discussion on whether there is a storytelling gene, you know, um, and probably storytelling is the oldest art form. The people who arrive back in the cave, uh, you know, and they sit by the fire, they'll tell stories of the saber-toothed tiger that got away, you know, and the next night it'll be a, a bigger one that got away, you know. Um, Ireland, and this is a sort of a sideline to your question, Ireland is in, in a unique position in that um, the Irish language itself was basically outlawed over the centuries, you know, into the 19th century. 
So, and this happens in most colonial situations. So, you know, we, we, we had to take up the English language. So our attitude to the English language is, is quite playful on that, you know. Um, hence, you get comic Irish writers like going back to Sheridan and uh, Congreve and that, and then up through Jonathan Swift and into modern days, you know, Beckett, Joyce. So um, we have a playful way with language. And um, uh, as for why we tell stories, I, I don't know. We're, we're just a, a sociable, garrulous lot. And, and maybe because of, uh, maybe historically, you know, the, the bard, you know, would have would been an early version of the Shanachie. Uh, the bard would have been a harper, but would tell stories. And a bard would have to study for 12 years and was usually employed by a local chieftain and would... Um, be recording or be telling stories that you know bolstered the, the you know the um, the reputation of the chieftain, or told stories that that uh, could crush somebody, you know, because they they were derogatory stories and that. Um. So, you know, I'm sure there there are other cultures. I mean, storytelling is just so basic to human uh, nature and that, and even in terms of sitting by the far side telling that far could be in an oasis it could be outside a native american lodge it could be in the jungle you know stories are a way that we we we, we make meaning of 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 the world of life and of bigger questions like you know death and the notion of a soul and that so i think basically storytelling is about wisdom you know um and there's a lot of um, concern, I think, amongst storytellers recently about how do we make new traditions, you know, how do we get stories that will relate to the world as it is? So, uh, and, and then we use stories like if you take like the Northern European tradition, Grimm's Tales and all that, the, you know, they're read or they're told or read to kids at night. They're warning stories like don't go into the woods on your own or that and they can be frightening and that's a good thing that frightening thing so uh, i think stories are very good for, for you know for young people because that you know they, they 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 have problems that are resolved and there are heroes and heroines and they um they relate to you know to basic things that kids are going to have to deal with just talking there as an aside with my, my daughter-in-law we're talking about teaching her her little daughter my lovely granddaughter uh, about chess and that you know a friend of mine was was doing a, tele, a film documentary of prisoners in, in Mountjoy jail in dublin learning how to play chess and then at some point the um you know some local school kids secondary school kids 13 14 were brought in to play opposite the prisoners and there's some very funny scenes where you get this prisoner saying oh this kid's doing me head in he's after taking me queen you know and he's only bleeding 14 you know but the the point of the documentary as explained by the the teachers in the prison was that chess for example is about choices you make choices and you have to think ahead of how your choices are going to affect what's going to happen and, and 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 that's not a natural way of thinking for young kids that grow up and fall into crime you know it's a matter of choices and looking ahead and all that 
And I think that so almost parallels, you know, what, what what kids are getting from stories, you know, their 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 their, their wisdom, you know, there's a kind of wisdom there. I mean, I've been telling stories of friend uh, Richard Hamilton, who worked as a BBC World Service guy in, in Marrakesh for five years, finally decided he's going to collect the stories, have them translated. He saw it as the end of a tradition. I don't think he was right in that. But some of those stories I tell now to, you know, new Irish refugee communities here, and, um, and they have, they're, they're parallel to, to Irish stories, you know, where where, you know, uh, a tyrant gets his comeuppance or whether, uh, uh, you know, the wise fool, the Jack character or the hands or clever hands or a Nancy in the in the in the African and West Indian tradition or coyote in the Native American tradition. You know, lots of those stories are about, you know, they're coming from a, a, an underclass or, you know, a, a peasant class and they're about they're the boy who sees the king has no clothes, you know. Uh, and they're 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 in that tradition, and they they crop up all over the world. You know, in in our in the Irish tradition, in the Gaelic language, you know, we have about five five hundred versions of the Cinderella tale in Connemara alone. And unbeknownst to the Americans, there are about you know a hundred leprechaun stories in the whole of the Irish tradition. It's not it's not a featured thing. It's probably imported from Europe trolls and that and but mr walt disney when he made his derby O'Gill and the little people gave the irish americans who are a race apart and fair play to them this notion that ireland was full of leprechauns and that you know <laughs> <laughs> so um so what what elements do you think a good story should have or or what elements should be parts of all great stories um well you know Generally, I mean, to pare it down, a story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and the, the middle is, is, is usually some problem that has to be resolved by the end, you know. Uh, the hero or the heroine is put through various trials, and they have to, by their own innate wisdom or by luck, whatever, they, they overcome these trials, and at the end they you know they um they kill the gorgon or they get the, the hand of the princess or if it's a woman she gets to be at least able to refuse this dim handsome prince's hand you know well i wonder, I wonder what 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 you do when you're preparing to tell your stories because you say you don't read them from being written down it's yep. it's it's yep. in, in your your head is there any preparation that you do for it or oh, yes yeah, yeah. so what, what does that look like well, the stories would be sourced. Either I, I hear them from somebody else and I ask permission to use them. You know, I'm be talking about older Irish tellers that I was lucky enough to work with and that. There are many collections of Irish tales that have been published over the years from, I mean, apart from the manuscripts and that, which are, you know, in museums or libraries and that, and they're, they're in, you know, old middle irish gaelic and that you know um it, so i i might take a folk tale that would be quite common but a, a, a somebody's version of it might appeal to me i would ask them for their permission to work on that so i would tell maybe that version of it but it would develop as i tell it over the years you know i might underline some things i make might make i might feel 
uh, a warmth towards the main character. Maybe he's a, a you know a shy guy who falls in love with some woman who turns out to be a go-between for for the, the fairies, you know. And uh, so I, I, I'll 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 develop my and the audience's sympathy for this guy, you know. Um, so basically, I, I, in, in those cases, I am using traditional tales. Like we're talking now about folk tales, which are in the tradition over, I don't know, three or four hundred years, or maybe beyond that. The older tales, the, the epics and the romances and the, the myths and that, of, of which we have a huge body of, I think it's only it's only uh, bettered by the Finnish uh, um, archive. Um, those, those are ones that that I, I sort of, I choose them, particular ones, because they, they appeal to me in a certain way, you know. It's like if you go through a, a joke book, you know, you might find one or two jokes that really tickle you, you know. But with these older stories, the themes might be to do with um, just things that are important to me, you know, like um, uh, it would be only years maybe later that I realised, oh yeah, subconsciously I picked that story because it's about revenge and the necessity to give up on revenge, you know, if, if things are to, are, are to go forward. So um, I do have another um, large repertoire of stories that I've put together myself. They're tall tales and they're often based on funny incidents, sometimes on joke stories. And I, I tell those in a sort of a, a local dialect, uh, a sort of a cavern accent, cavern's where my, my father was from. I like the music of the accent. So I have now, like I have several hours of these interlinked stories and there's a dramatis personae of all the characters that come in and out of the stories, you know, and including doctors and, um, you know, uh, farmers, barmen, including cats and dogs, you know, that have, <laughs> that have an important part in a particular story. So, um, you know, I, 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 w I will sort of structure a story I'm talking about these ones that are self-generated, you know, they're, they're, they're based maybe on, on something humorous that appeals to me. And I think, well, that moment, that would fit into that, those stories, you know. So, I, I, I you know, I tried them out. I usually record myself telling. Uh, and so I, I, new stuff that comes up, I don't forget. And, and so the, the stories develop and they, they, they take on their own flavor as they as they mature and um, some of them are interlinked and uh, they're basically about human foibles I suppose and chancers you know uh, guys that um, one particular guy who, who is just totally he, he's a he's a, a keen polluter <laughs> that's one of his hobbies you know and that that's a bit shocking to some American audiences that you can have a hero of some total ne'er-do-well, you know, but he usually oh, hoodwinks authority, often the authority being the church, you know, um, um, and that was an important thing in these traditional folk tales, you know, where the, the authority figures were taken down a peg, you know. When you're delivering the stories, yeah. do, you, um, do you have elements of dialogue in it? Do you have elements of, uh, you've, you've talked about humour, um, yeah. and you, obviously you've, talk, you've talked about the beginning, the middle, 
the end of the um, of the story. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you weave all of those elements together? It, yeah. It, it's kind of more of a, a story than a, a kind of a and then and then and then. Well, I suppose maybe to take it back to somebody telling a joke or a story joke, you know, or something they claimed happened to them. And we do that all the time. Um, there's a certain tone that you, 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 you come out with, you know, that there's, there's a sort of a, a, a winking thing, a sly understanding that you've gotten the audience on your wavelength. Um, and you, you just put in as many humorous details that build up a picture in a sense it's it's like any kind of writing although you know um it, it, it ends up not as as writing it, it ends up as, as a spoken word thing um but it would be close to i suppose playwriting in that or playwriting for a single voice and then i will you know i i, I throw in bits of dialogue but they they, they um you know, the the listeners probably don't see them as dialogue. You know, you know, if you were telling a story about a funny thing that happened, you know, well, I went into the supermarket, and, and this woman came up and she says, uh, "Do you know where they keep the, you know, the the socks or something like that?" And then, you know, you you just you you quote speech and that that that's not. I'm not giving you that as an example of a story. You know. Um, there are some stories up on my website. Um, uh, there's an example of a traditional story um, uh, collected in, in, in Irish in, in the 1940s from an old woman. But it, it, this particular story we know is a universal tale. The first, it's called The Soul of the Butterfly. And it, it deals with the notion of a soul or, or this world or another world. And uh, we know the first recorded version of it was written down in, in, in one of the French principalities, Merlingovia or something like that, in 787. So because, uh, and it's it's got a central image of a butterfly, which is a very potent symbol, I think, for most cultures, maybe not the Eskimos. <laughs> I think butterflies are a bit shy up there, but you know, the butterfly, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a notion of transformation, you know, the, the, the caterpillar, turning into a butterfly and the fact that lots of people have stories about butterflies appearing after the death of someone you know so the soul as a butterfly it's what it's called i was selling it recently well two summers ago in greece and i had been thinking about you know the greek word for soul is psyche and, and we get all these psychology psychiatry psychotic and psychic and all that and then i found out to my delight um, that's why the Greek word for, for soul is psyche. The Greek word for a butterfly is psyche as well, you know. So these, these symbols are very deep rooted in the human imagination and hence they travel. I think that brings us on quite nicely to, to the next uh, question that I have for you, which comes back to what we were talking about towards the beginning with the kind of the Brechtian and the, the Stanislavski kind of acting yeah. where uh, Brecht really engages with the audience and Stanislavski kind of doesn't so much. Um, yeah. And there's something that, that's written on your website that says that uh, for stories to live, they need the hearts, minds, and ears of listeners. Without the listener, there is no story. So yeah. can you explain that a little bit and how that influences your storytelling? Uh, I'm not sure who, who that quote is from, but it's, it's basically you pick up 
if I pick up um, Othello, if Shakespeare's Othello, do you know what I mean? It, uh, that's not in the paperback, do you know what I mean? It is there, but um, it, it only happens in front of an audience. It's it's a thing that's happening between the, the audience and the actors, you know? So, um, well, the, the stories stories are, are for the telling and if, if you don't have an audience um, the story doesn't become alive in the air you know you can tell it to yourself and uh, you know I, I, if I'm preparing a story I'm driving somewhere I, I'm telling the story to myself but it's only when you're in front of an audience and you see their immediate reaction and that's what you build on you know whether it's a reaction of understanding or, or miscomprehension, you know, because maybe of language or something like that, you, 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 um, that's, that gives the dynamo to your way of telling, you know. It's like on stage with actors, you know, you're playing opposite somebody, you know, you're working from a script, um, you've been directed, you're, you have marks you have to reach, and so you'll be in the light. And so there's one half of your brain inside the character and then there's another half of your brain responding truthfully to the other character opposite you on the stage and then as i sometimes say and the third part of your brain <laughs> the third half of your brain is a very aware of the audience you know the timing of the actors on stage depends on the reception the audience are giving you know so there's a dynamic there between telling listening and uh, I think the first thing a storyteller needs to be is, is to be a listener you know uh, ironically and uh, so the, the, this, the story is, is part of this new um, relationship between the person telling and the people listening so what, what is it that you're listening for uh, when or watching for when you're telling your stories to the audience you're, 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 you want to know that people are with you. You want to know that they're understanding that the story is there. You know that they may be aware that you're coming to the end of a story. So there are various signals that are going out in the writing or in the telling that um, you're, you're basically, as I said before, it's as if you're bringing them on a journey, you know. You're a guide, you're a tour guide. And the, 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 the journey is the story. You know the events. And you're unfolding those events anew every time, verbally. And how you do it is totally dependent on the the quality of the listening, you know, and, and, and what you've won, you know, that they're, they're following you, they're with you, they're laughing when you want them to laugh, or, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're taken up short when something that comes out in the story that's very... Um, surprisingly moving or something like that there there's a story i tell i got i got from a great old storyteller he would have been known as a shanaki eamon kelly but basically he was an actor he said he was an actor playing the role of a shanaki he you know i'd seen him in Chekhov and ibsen and shakespeare and all and the irish greats sing and that but he started doing plays or one-man shows based on the stories that he had collected you know and he had been using on the radio as a radio shanaki and um 
so he you know he has one story about a guy who goes to America and comes back after six months but still has a world of stories he can tell to the neighbors every night in the cottage much to the annoyance of his his brother and his sister-in-law because she's house proud and all the neighbors are trooping in but at one point to illustrate the marvels of the new world and new york in particular and skyscrapers and that uh, people want to know where their relations are living in, in, in New York, you know, so he says nothing for it. I have to draw a map. There's no piece of paper big enough in the house. So he takes a coating of ashes from the fire and spreads them out, gets people to move their chairs back, takes off cane and begins to draw in the ashes the outline of the island of Manhattan, 10 miles wide and long and three miles wide. And then he's drawing the avenues that crisscrossed it and sold by the Red Indians to the Dutch for less than $50. Don't you think there were some bargains going in those days? And then there's a point in the story where uh, he, he begins to point out the neighborhoods on the island of Manhattan. And um, I found something in this story that isn't in Eamon's telling of it, because there are recordings and videos of him telling it. But um, at, at this point, he, he, he begins to point out the, the neighborhoods on the island of Manhattan and then and you know those neighborhoods were familiar as familiar to us as the townlands of our own parish the Bury in Chinatown, Hell's Kitchen and all that but I'm telling it on one occasion where I knew the audience were very much aware it may have been in Newfoundland or somewhere you know where they were very aware of emigration and all that I suddenly realized the import and the heartbreak of that thing, you know, those places that he pointed out were as familiar to us as the townlands of our own parish. You know, people knew about about the Bronx and, and Chinatown and all that, you know, and I just suddenly I want at that on this occasion of telling it, the hair stood up on, on my head, you know, because I, I knew this was a, a sort of a uh, after the comedy, it was a slap in the face. It was totally um, sad. There was a tristesse and a truth in it, you know. And uh, so my timing for that usually takes that into account. Now, it's only happened once, twice before in that way where I've actually felt that the audience were a bit shocked, you know, by the, by the, you know, the sadness of, of this notion, you know happened to me recently in telling it in a man uh, but you can't predict when when you're going to feel moved you know by something like that you know so the stories change in the telling you, you know you, you get a reaction for a certain lines you know you, you you keep that in mind so um sticking with the theme of the audience when you're in the middle of telling a story to the audience yeah how Often the stories can be quite long, sometimes they can be quite short. Sure. What tactics or techniques do you use to keep the audience engaged throughout the whole of the story? Um, well, I, I, I suppose I, because I've chosen a particular story and because it appeals to me in a certain way, I think it's a story that I could tell. It's a good story for telling. Um, I've identified my main reason for telling that story, the main thing in the story that appeals to me. So I'm not I'm not just telling any old story. I'm, I'm telling a story that I want to give them that I think they might appreciate. Um, and then 
how to keep them engaged well that's i suppose that's some instinctual thing it may come from my experience as a storyteller and to a degree my acting experience too although as i say they're they're both quite different um there's another thing about it, when you're learning, when you're rehearsing a play and you're improvising on a character, the director will often say, no, 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 don't tell me, you know, show me, you know. Um, so, you know, if you're improvising and a character's going through a certain thing, it's the way they they look towards the door or the way they light a cigarette it gives you a notion of how they, what they're thinking or how they're feeling. So the director says, no, don't tell me, show me. In acting, uh, I came up with the notion that in, in storytelling, it's more like, don't show me, tell me, you know, just tell me, you know. Now, I was disabused of that because then I, 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 I've worked with Indian tellers who, who, who do tell to music and they, you know, they show as well as telling and that. So I, maybe it was a bit Eurocentric there. But um, I suppose how you keep an audience engaged, it, it depends on the the richness of the story and, and, and the richness of the story is for how you were attracted to it and you're trying to do justice to, to the story and the, the, you know that uh, you may not know exactly what the story is saying because it's saying different things to different people. But a story itself ha it ha is a sort of an engine, you know, and, and, and it can give you, if you're, if you're experienced enough, it can give you um, a dynamo. You know, it'll tell, it'll tell itself in a way, you know. It's the story telling itself through you if, if, if you've, um, you know, if, if you've sort of honed your craft enough, you know. And, uh, and, and no matter how long the story is, that's that's the um, that's the hope that that you will keep them with you, you know, and and you usually do, you know. <laughs> so, um, Jack, I am uh, aware of time, so just a couple of quick fire questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah. So, um, who do you think the maybe the greatest storyteller ever is, or who do you think of when you hear the words storyteller? Oh. Um, it's hard to say, like, you know, what's your favourite What's your favorite song, you know? I mean, in Ireland, I think of people like Eamon Kelly, who I mentioned, who passed away in 2001. Uh, there was another man in the north of Ireland, John Campbell. I would have gone to the moon to hear John tell. He passed away in 2006. Um, he, he worked a lot with Len Graham, the traditional singer. And when John got ill, it was very brief, serious illness. He said to Len, see if Jack will do some of the gigs that were booked it would be like folk festivals in England Scotland and that so I did as many as I could and I've been working with Len ever since so it's a nice mix the song and the and the story because most traditional songs are story songs and that you know uh, I think of uh, some of the great Scottish traveller tellers Sheila Stewart and Duncan Williamson Stanley Robertson we've all they've all passed you know uh, there's a brilliant younger English Welsh teller Daniel Morton. I think he's he's really superb. Uh, in America, a good friend of mine, W. Thomason. She's from the Sioux Apache tradition, and, and she is a, an extraordinary storyteller. And um, you know, I see young tellers who are coming up, and, the, and and they're really honing their their craft. You know, 
And then we have the literary tradition looking back on storytellers, whether it's, you know, Shakespeare or, or um, you know, Homer, Dante, Cervantes. That's just from a European perspective, you know. Um, um, but at the same time, I meet a guy on a bus, you know, and he, you know, he's, he's a natural storyteller. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 um, it's hard to pin it down, you know. Absolutely. So, are there any gr great books on the art of storytelling, or any blogs or websites that you can think of that you could recommend yeah. to us? Well, there's one book that always springs to mind. It's by Walter Benjamin, great uh, German thinker. Uh, it's called The Storyteller. That's the translate. It's 1935, I think, and that's very available on the web. You know, it's a long essay. It's about a, a, a Russian writer, Leskov, um, but he, he, he uses that premise to talk about storytelling. And it, he goes very deeply into it. I mean, there's, as we say, there's drinking and eating in that book, you know, for the next 20 years for me, you know. Uh, Berger, you know, noted it. I think I, I first came across it when John Berger mentioned Benjamin in when I was reading New Society articles in the 1970s. Uh, also, uh, there's a great American um, thinker on storytelling, Jack Zipes, Z-I-P-E-S. Uh, he has translated a lot of uh, Grimm's and Arabian Nights tales, but he, he's a very clear thinker. He, he has a, a schools project and he's basically coming from a Marxist um, background. So he would have very interesting critiques of Disney and the Disneyfication of, of young people's culture. Um, Marina Warner, English writer, she's always very interesting on, on storytelling. Um, but there are others that, that would be well known, like John Campbell and uh, um, some well-known people. I, I wouldn't go all the way with them, but certainly John Berger has written brilliantly about storytelling um, in a number of books. Um, uh, Many many of his books relate to storytelling. Well, there, there's one, there's one book, Ways of Looking, and there's an essay in the back of that about. He works a lot with Jean Moore, the UNESCO photographer, and and, and sometimes the stories are just a sequence of photographs, and and Berger in that book, Ways of Looking, not Ways of Seeing, Ways of Looking. Um, uh, he's very interesting in that. But then lots of us. There's a recent, 2007 book. Hold Everything Dear, um, and uh, it's basically the book relates to the Palestinian situation. But just in relation to traditional tales, and for example, the notion of a, a simple story like the king who has no clothes, you know, the boy is the only one, you know. And of course, uh, Berger is, is, is talking here in relation to, you know, modern political situation. <clears throat> And he says, <clears throat> the powerful can't tell stories. Boasts are the opposite of stories. And any story, however mild, has to be fearless. The powerful today live nervously. Stories are one way of sharing the belief that justice is imminent, that justice is on the way. And for such a belief, children, women and men will fight at a given moment with astounding ferocity. This is why tyrants fear storytelling. All stories somehow refer to the story of their fall. So that would explain my own political approach to storytelling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
So I, I do think storytelling, it's, it's about community and, 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 and community is about compassion and all that. And communities are being fragmented by, by history and economics and modernity and, you know, mass media and the rest of it. But it, it does come back basically to telling a child a story to put them to sleep, you know. I mean, I, 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 I often work in elderly care homes. I remember being in one in America at one stage with another Irish storyteller and it was all these elderly people sitting there and so I think I started the first story so it was something like long ago in Ireland there was a king and this king as soon as I got that far a woman in the front was snoring away <laughs> you know and by the end of my story at the start of the session everybody was asleep and snoring you know and this nurse came up and said oh I'm so embarrassed you know and I was saying look it's no insult to a storyteller, you know. Those people felt uh, safe enough to fall asleep. Maybe they're hearing the story in their sleep, but we tell stories to children to help them sleep, you know. There's something um, soothing and healing about storytelling. Uh, and uh, again, I've forgotten your question. I've gotten off on that track. <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, I'll just ask you one more question then, uh, Jack, which is um, where can we find out more about you and where can we find you online? Well, I have I have a website, which is www.jackstory.com. Jack Story, one word, lowercase. So, uh, and um, um, that has various things, you know, um, about me, uh, like a background and a few samples of, of hearing stories, telling stories, and then some bits of writing, some stuff about me. And then I have a section called Rambles, which is a pile of a long list of quotes relating to storytelling, our life in general, some of them humorous, some some not. There's another website, I could, our website, Storytellers of Ireland, and, and there, there we have a number of articles on that written by you know, from talks delivered to us, and there's a directory of storytellers, and there's oh, various things. Uh, it, so that's www.storytellersofireland.org. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, Jack, I'd really like to thank you for your time today and for helping us to understand how to tell better stories, keep people engaged, and, uh, and work with the audience. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. It's good to talk, yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Rule the World. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you and see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.